Radio, deepening understanding, making connections. This is WVEW LP Brattleboro 107.7 FM, your community radio station, also streaming live online at www.wvew.org. This is Indigo Radio, deepening understanding and making connections. On the air every Sunday at noon, we're a group of educators seeking to learn through engaging with others in our community and throughout the world. You can also find us on Facebook at Indigo Radio and on Instagram. The views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the host and guests, not the radio station. And in the studio today, we have Corey Sorensen on the board. He is fourth grade teacher uh, in Guilford. And we have Chris Livency who is a teacher at the Paulo Freire Social Justice Charter School in Holyoke, Massachusetts, and myself, Nina Kunimoto, who is a local educator. Last week, we talked about the connections between Palestine and Oaxaca, and we interviewed Ziad Abbas, who is a part of an organization out in California. And today, our show is going to be about Puerto Rico and what is happening in Puerto Rico, and we're going to going to give an outline of its history. Um, It is a colony of the United States. It was invaded by Columbus. Uh, Spain ruled it for 400 years, and then we had the Spanish-American War in um, 1898 between Spain and the United States, and Puerto Rico got its independence for 12 hours from uh, from Spain, and then the U.S. took over. And in 1917, Puerto Ricans became U.S. citizens because the United States needed bodies to fight in World War I. I teach down in Holyoke, and we've certainly seen um, immigration and migration be in the news in this election cycle and afterwards and with the travel ban. And my students, I would say 95% are first or second generation Puerto Ricans, um, Puerto Ricans, and I got all kinds of questions from them after the election of Trump What's going to happen? Um, are we going to be deported? What's going to happen to us? Is this, you know, he had this horrible rhetoric about Mexicans. And um, so what's going to happen to us? And so we, we had to kind of talk about what it means to be a commonwealth, that the people of Puerto Rico are U.S. citizens, but not everybody understands that. And it seems um, basic and logical, but we talk, um, I'm going to play a little clip and this is of news announcers. This is from the John Oliver show when he talked about people perceiving Puerto Rico as another country and calling the people that come from Puerto Rico immigrants. And so when so- Chief Justice Sonia Sotomayor was appointed, uh, lots of news announcers uh, referred to her family as um, immigrants and migrants and not migrants, I'm sorry, immigrants from Puerto Rico. So um, I want to play a little clip from John Oliver when he's describing this background. A fact that comes as a surprise to a shocking number of people, as we learned when Sonia in Puerto Rico, whose citizens are Americans. A fact that comes as a surprise to a shocking number of people, as we learned when Sonia Sotomayor was named to the Supreme Court. Sotomayor, a Bronx native, is the daughter of Rico, whose citizens are Americans. A fact that comes as a surprise to a shocking number of people, as we learned when Sonia Sotomayor was named to the Supreme Court. 
Sotomayor, a Bronx native, is the daughter of Puerto Rican immigrants. She was a first-generation American, the daughter of Puerto Rican immigrants. The daughter of Puerto Rican immigrants. She is the daughter of Puerto Rican immigrants. She's the daughter of Puerto Rican immigrants. No, she isn't. She's the daughter of Americans who moved from Puerto Rico. If Puerto Ricans are immigrants, anyone who moves anywhere is an immigrant. Hey, bro, could you help me immigrate apartments on Saturday? I need to immigrate a couch up two flights of stairs. Puerto Rico has more American citizens than 21 U.S. states. So that was just a, uh, <laughs> a really funny, ridiculous way, um, a clip about how people view and perceive uh, people from Puerto Rico, that they're immigrants from another country. She was born in the Bronx. Her family's from Puerto Rico, which has been part of the United States and U.S. citizens since 1917. And so we're going to talk a little bit about this in both the context of here, but also on the island today. And, and we're going to take a little song break um, before we jump into the conversation. And we chose this song uh, by Roy Brown called Mister Con Macana, which translates to Mister with a Nightstick. Um, this is a song that was written during the protests uh, at the University of Puerto Rico against the Vietnam War. And for those students, it was a protest not just against the Vietnam War, but also against U.S. colonialism. Um, and this song, this Roy Brown song, and, and many songs at the time, was influenced by Nueva Trova, which is a music genre that emerged in Cuba in the 60s that combined folk music style with a socio-political message. And Roy Brown released an album, and this song is part of that album, called Yo Protesto, the songs that, that came out out of those protests. And so I'm going to give a translation of this song, Mr. Con Macana, uh, Mr. With a Nightstick. And it describes the, the demonstrations at the University of Puerto Rico from the perspective of the protesters. And here's some of the lyrics. There are situations that work us up and others that kill. How do you think, friend, that my mother felt when a mister with a nightstick hit me and hit me hard? Run, run, everybody run. Here comes the mister with a nightstick. And Brown uh, anglicized the word mister, um, because obviously in Spanish it would be senor, um, and connect, he wanted to connect it with local police with the United States. Um, and the, the last three lines of this lyrics ties the state to the quintessential capital symbol. And the last part of the lyric goes, a mister with a ramrod takes out a pistol and all this for Coca-Cola. Welcome back. You're listening to Indigo Radio on 107.7 FM, Brattleboro Community Radio Station. And that was Mr. Con Macana or Mr. With a Nightstick by Roy Brown. We are Indigo Radio, making connections and deepening understanding. We're here every Sunday from 12 to 1. And you can also um, catch us online at wvw.org. And so today we're looking at some of the, again, current issues in the news and specifically um, going to focus on Puerto Rico. And all of us in the room are teachers. And part of the, um, what we need to do as teachers is understand our students. What are their experiences um, what are those things that shape their experiences? And so both Nina and myself have um, taught in Holyoke, um, large number of Puerto Rican students um, in Holyoke. And I recently took my students, the student council, to uh, the state house in Boston to do a trip to meet their state rep, uh, Aaron Vega. And we were walking through the state house building and looking at the murals. And like when you go to D.C., also when you go to state houses, what they put up tells you what they're ideology is and one of the murals was of 
Teddy Roosevelt and the Rough Riders and this also this regiment that they praised for taking over or for liberating um, countries from the Spanish, uh, you know, colonial rule. And this particular one um, spelled Port Puerto Rico, P-O-R-T-O. So incorrectly spelling it, and then it showed um, this regiment taking over Puerto Rico and liberating it from Spain, when in fact it was just shifting the, the who was colonizing that. And so my students were asking about that, like, why is it spelled like that? Why are they, what do you mean they liberated what from who? And so what is the state now? And so we wanted to root our um, discussion today in what is happening in Puerto Rico. We've heard recently about the debt crisis Puerto Rico just had a plebiscite to vote on whether to have statehood, nationhood, or remain a commonwealth as they are right now. We've also heard about this huge exodus of people from the island, this brain and labor drain from Puerto Rico and the really struggling economy. Um, Most recently, when Obama left office, he pardoned and released Oscar Lopez Rivera. And we've heard about protests from students in the University of Puerto Rico and others about tu- against tuition races. So we wanted to kind of root that. And so Nina's going to give a, another little bit of history. Yeah, so I think a lot of people, I mean, I know in schools people do not talk about Puerto Rico. And just to give a little overview that Columbus landed um, in Puerto Rico and invaded Puerto Rico um, and the Tainos resisted against him. And he took... Puerto Rico basically for Spain, and Puerto Rico's been a colony of Spain for about 400 years, and then as I said earlier, 12 hours after Puerto Rico gains independence from Spain, they are recolonized by the United States. Um, Puerto Rico became a commonwealth in 1952 after World War II, around the same time that a lot of colonized nations were becoming independent so it was it was more the united states was pressured to um make puerto rico into a commonwealth and what a commonwealth means is that it's limited self-rule and it gives them a little bit more rights meaning that they get to write their own constitution and and things like that but no matter what the united states has still has full control of puerto rico many people in puerto rico there there's a debate whether they should become a state or not. Um, And many people don't want that. And people don't even go out to vote. And that would force them, in in essence, to become, quote, unquote, American, whatever that means, um, by being forced to speak English, which they were historically been forced to do um, in 1900 and 1901. There was an ordinance for them to speak English and not Spanish. Forbid them from speaking Spanish. Yeah, exactly. Much like a lot of places in the United States and the Southwest. And to keep their Puerto Rican identity, I think, is far more important to most Puerto Ricans than to have the right to vote for president. And I suspect that many people don't want to become a state because then that will completely rule out any chance of becoming independent. Otherwise, it'd be treason, right? Yep. So, and I also heard from my students about when we talk about independence and statehood, and uh, we talked about in class this plebiscite to vote on that. They say, you know, Puerto Rico is a mess. What are we? Their own, you know, they can't go it alone. And what we have to do is go back and look a little bit about this debt crisis, this 123 billion dollars in debt, and where does that come from? Is it just bad management? Is it corruption? And Puerto Rico had applied to um, go into uh, default. And, and the U.S. government denied them that. Uh, cities like Detroit and Benton Harbor and Michigan were able to do that. 
but the U.S. government won't allow Puerto Rico to file bankruptcy. And so we're going to go back a little bit um, to the Forrester Act and the Jones Act, a little bit about what that means. And so this Four Acre Act, I'm sorry, the Four Acre Act made, in 1900, made Puerto Rico a territory of the U.S. And the second thing it did is said that the governor and top officials were to be appointed by the U.S. They're not to be elected. Um, they're to be appointed by the U.S. It then also forced Puerto Rico, <clears throat> excuse me, to use the dollar. And so when we think about, again, all of this in context of this $123 billion debt, when they were forced to switch from the peso to the dollar, it immediately devalued totally the peso, which meant that all of that wealth that, and, that people had in the peso was immediately gone. And so there, that was a, one of the first pieces of totally destroying the wealth of the island, of the people on the island, their wealth, by changing, forcing them to use the dollar as their currency. And if, and if, if I might add, the corporations um, bought out the land. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. Once, there was, um, once the people were forced to sell and they lost all the value, uh, it was easy pickings for p- corporations to come in there and buy up land and individuals. And the other part of that, too, is that corporations were not, didn't have to pay taxes on the money that they made in PR. So if you start to add all these up, the, not only the, um, the unfair practices which took away the, the property of Puerto Ricans, it gave it to, to the U.S. and uh, its corporations and people. And so it was a huge incentive for companies to move to Puerto Rico. The second big thing I think we need to learn about is the Jones Act, which took place on March 2nd, 1917. President Woodrow Wilson signed the Jones Act, and it made Puerto Ricans U.S. citizens. Wow, sounds great, right? And so Nina alluded to this. Um, in 1917, the U.S. was um, entering World War I, and we needed... The U.S. needed bodies to go to war. And what better way to do that than making Puerto Ricans U.S. citizens so they could go to war? So Wilson needed these bodies to fight in World War I. And so the PR legislature, the Puerto Rican legislature, voted against becoming citizens, but it was denied. And so the U.S. Um, made Puerto Rican people become U.S. citizens. In 1952, they became a commonwealth, which, as Nina said, gives them limited rule, but really anything could be overridden by the U.S. So currently the island is... $123 billion in debt, and like in Detroit and other cities, um, they've been taken over and by an oversight committee that is not elected, it's appointed, and this PROMESA, now the Puerto Rican Oversight Management and Economic Stability Act, is in charge of Puerto Rico, and since then, there's been over 170 school closings um, during the Zika crisis, uh, two major hospitals were shut down, and protections... Uh, this is just blows me away, but um, they've lowered the minimum wage for young workers to 4.25 an hour. So these are just some of the things that Promesa, this oversight uh, management committee, has done. Um, right, and and Promesa is really like bottom feeding, right? Like it, it's a another push of, of capitalism hanging on to it in its last nails, and. Garcia Padilla, who I believe is the current governor of Puerto Rico, said in a, in a recent press conference that Puerto Rico basically has turned into a colony of Wall Street. And we're, he said that we are starting the process of putting it back in the hands of Puerto Ricans. And in the United States, um, Senator Robert Menendez, Democrat of New Jersey, said that um, this is blatant neocolonialism. Senator Bernie Sanders, Democrat of Vermont, has consistently echoed that 
promesa as is a quote a terrible piece of legislation that treats Puerto Rico as a colony um, and and a lot of it is really pointing in the direction of privatization and, and privatizing a lot of the, the schools anything that's public yeah so we're going to take a quick um, music break yep and then we have a wonderful guest that will be talking with us, and we'll introduce him when we come back. Absolutely. And so for our second song, we chose Señor Inversionista, uh, which translates to Mr. Investor, again, by Roy Brown. Um, and it is an attack on imperialism and capitalism. And here are some of the lyrics. Mr. Investor, be careful. Instead of your profits, you'll have something burnt because the Borinquen people are soon to awake. It's the eve for the people who will soon cry out. Be careful. And here is Señor Inversionista. So welcome back. You're listening to Indigo Radio 107.7 FM, Brattleboro Community Radio. Um, this is Indigo Radio. We're here every Sunday from 12 to 1. And we're also streaming live, WVEW.org, um, deepening understanding and making connections. That's what we're about. So in this next segment, I really am happy to introduce a friend of the show, hopefully in the future, and someone we've uh, worked with in the past a little bit, but Mr. Nelson Roman, who is Ward 2 City Councilor from Holyoke, and he's also the new Interim Executive Director for Nueva Esperanza. Yes. Welcome to the show. I'm really happy that you can be with us to talk with us Welcome. Today. Thank you guys so much for having me here today, and thank you so much for raising the issues of the plight of the people of Puerto Rico uh, and the diaspora here in the U.S. I'm so excited that you guys are covering this today. Thank, thank you. you. And we hope that this is uh, at least one of two. We're hoping to have uh, number two and maybe more after that, but this was just the start. Of, there's so much to talk about. So. Yeah. And we'd love to start out with you to learn a little bit about you and your family who lives in um, on the island and what the situation is in Puerto Rico and and maybe what life is like for the people especially under all this austerity and and debt and if you could give us a kind of a, a picture of that yeah, sure. Perfect. Thank you both so much. So, again, uh, to all the viewers out there, my name is Nesel Romang. I am, uh, live in the city of Holyoke, but I was born and raised in Waterbury, Connecticut. I am a diasporan uh, Boricua, uh, meaning that I was born here in the U.S. Um, a lot of us identify as New Yorkans from New England because a lot of the Puerto Rican uh, migration wave came through New York. Uh, so I was born and raised in Waterbury, Connecticut. Uh, I moved to Western Mass about 10, 11 years ago, um, and I actually uh, be, was homeless, and I lived on the street for two years, um, HIV positive, openly gay male, um, and the reason why I share this is because I lived in Holyoke, and Holyoke helped me to not only become uh, the man that I am today, but also connect to my Puerto Rican diaspora roots, mm-hmm. like many uh, young Puerto Rican men and women who uh, are third or fourth generation Boricuas, mm-hmm. I became assimilated, or my family became, or wanted us to assimilate into quote-unquote U.S. culture, mm-hmm. so Holyoke is the largest city per capita in the U.S. of Puerto Ricans. Mm-hmm. Uh, very little known fact. I love that fact, actually. So when I moved here, it very much felt like little Puerto Rico. Right. Um, and when I moved here, everyone was Puerto Rican and proud and loved it. And I just fell in love with this city so, so much. Yeah. Um, and as a result of that, uh, throughout my adulthood and within the last 10 years, I've been to Puerto Rico five times. Mm-hmm. Um, my family is from Puerto Rico. Uh, my mom's side of the family is from Guanica, 
which is actually on the southern Caribbean side. It is actually the place where the U.S., mm-hmm. during the Spanish-American War, actually entered into Guanica. They're known as the Port of Friendliness or the Friendly City mm-hmm. uh, because they welcomed the Americans with open arms. Mm-hmm. And then my dad's side of the families is from Lares, Puerto Rico, uh-huh. which is the revolutionary yeah. independence home uh, of the island. It is where Pedro Albizu Campos, mm-hmm. uh, Lolita Lebron, a yeah. lot of famous revolutionary independentists, uh, nationalists from Puerto yeah. Rico are proud to call Lares home. So I have a mix of both of those bloods in me, mm-hmm. um, and I love that. Uh, I just actually got back from a trip uh, to Puerto Rico uh, last month with my partner, mm-hmm. um, and that it was exactly that, to spend time on the island, to see what was going on, to spend time with some of the student protesters at UPR in Mayagüez, mm-hmm. um, and really get firsthand as to what's going on with my own family structure mm-hmm. and what's going on in the, main, uh, in the mainland. So mm-hmm. I can tell you a few things. One is The diaspora here in the U.S. uh, Mm -hmm. are experiencing and have been experiencing very similar austerity measures Mm -hmm. in the communities that they live. So um, similar to the Irish, um, you know, and and their plight and struggle for independence and how the diaspora here really helped to push for peace in Ireland, Mm -hmm. the problem with this today with our diaspora is we're facing economic instability, we're facing minimum wage, high unemployment rates, high incarceration rates. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like a tale of disconnected worlds. Mm -hmm. On the island, there is still this view and belief that America is this promised land. So you come here and you can get these jobs and you can get these degrees. My cousin, Jose Nelson, who was from Guanica, was a security guard and had to leave Puerto Rico and he now lives Midwest in Wisconsin and he's been out of there for two years. Um, and his girlfriend and uh, has family in Wisconsin, so she's set with a job because she knows someone there. He's struggling still two years later to find employment. Um, even here in the city of Holyoke, uh, we do have a large migration wave, similar to what we saw in the 60s and 70s, that are coming here, but that are moving into substandard housing, that are moving into we cannot find jobs, or with Massachusetts as a liberal bastion we are, having eliminated bilingual education, we're having students who are doing AP level coursework and readings who come here, who are then forced to take English classes, all of their classes in English, who are then being put into IEP programs or remedial educational levels. And so it is such a huge disconnect. And on the island, my grandfather, who still lives there uh, from my mom's side, is 77 years old. Uh, him and I had this real rich conversation around this. And I said, Abuelo, how do you feel about this crisis? He said, listen, I'm going to tell you this. This is how we feel on the island. If you are someone who is middle income or um, on the road or has your disability benefits or you already are set and established, you're fine. Mm-hmm. What it's really hurting is the top and the bottom, meaning the top educationally, doctors, lawyers, they're having such a huge doctor drainage mm-hmm. that as the students are graduating from medical school, they're immediately coming to the U.S. Mm-hmm. to do their externships and their work. My grandfather has tons of, of course, in his senior age, tons of medical issues. He himself has to look for the doctors and referrals. He himself has to follow up. And right now he has a back disc um, that's off. Mm -hmm. He has a five-month waiting list uh, before he can be seen. So those are the kind of impacts that impact the elderly. And then from those who are in need, right, in true need of assistance, um, there is none. There are cutting like crazy those benefits that truly help those individuals who are most in need, the most impoverished and poor. And you are seeing a tale of two woes, and there's a lot 
huge wave of gentrification going on in Puerto Rico. The beaches are being bought out. My hometown of Guanica um, is known for its beaches. Yeah. And one of the austerity measures from Promesa, I heard you guys speaking earlier, yeah. um, one of the original plans was to sell all of the beaches in Puerto Rico and make them private. Are you kidding um, Oh, gosh. Yeah, yeah. And so in Guanica, even, there's this huge swath um, uh, of a beautiful beach called Playa Santa, mm-hmm. uh, in which there is a huge developer that basically bought three fourths of the beach, and now those beaches then become private and not available to the public. Mm-hmm. So those are the kinds of things that Puerto Ricans are facing on a day to day basis. And us here on the mainland, um, and here in Holyoke, for example, I, I, I realized very quickly that, hey, we are facing the similar things. I was homeless. Mm-hmm. Um, I struggled for two years to almost get on my feet. Uh, then I became a stabilization case manager. And through all of these processes, I realized that the system of oppression is also meant to keep people of color down. And if you take mm-hmm. a map of poverty in Holyoke and overlap it with communities of color, mm-hmm. and like I just shared with you, Holyoke is 50% Latino, and out of those 50% Latinos, 98% are Puerto Rican. Mm-hmm. It's almost identical to the poverty map. So mm-hmm. how can we as a diaspora really truly engage in defending our homeland when we have these issues here. And it's not to say that there isn't a glimmer of hope with the work that, yes, I'm doing here at Nueva Esperanza, but also from a regional perspective. Our diaspora is waking up. Holyoke held the first New England Puerto Rican summit, Mm -hmm. diaspora summit, to again allow our diaspora to begin to have these dialogues. What are some concrete things we can do here on this island Mm -hmm. that tie back to the plight of Puerto Rico? Little known fact, and I heard you guys were talking about that, a majority of Puerto Rico's debt, Mm -hmm. there's this preconceived notion that that is held by these vulture funds, and which is true, they do owe a large sum, but the majority of debt holders of Puerto Rican debt are Puerto Ricans themselves. Puerto Ricans with their retirement funds and their retirement accounts they are actually owed that money that the government kept giving those triple exempt bonds to. Uh-huh. They're owed that money for their retirement accounts, teachers and pension accounts. Those are all gone. So those Puerto Ricans, which own close to 70% of the debt that is now can't be paid off, are never going to see a retirement account or a retirement fund money. And Oppenheimer, which is one of the biggest vulture funds out there, for example, their parent company is actually Mass Mutual, located right here in Western Mass. Mm-hmm. So we we have local connections where we can and we have been as a diaspora mm-hmm. respectfully engaging, right? Because mm-hmm. we do appreciate Mass Mutual and the work that they do in our local community, but also saying, hey, Mass Mutual, you have a subsidiary that is stifling and constraining and killing literally our island. So can we talk on ways to forgive that debt or let that debt go? Mm-hmm. And so we're having those discussions and we're seeing an awakening. Um, our Holyoke was the first city in New England to call for the re- release of Oscar Lopez mm-hmm. Uh, to then-President Obama, and Oscar just visited here. And we had hundreds of young people, old people. So you're seeing this de-assimilation model where the Puerto Ricans here on the mainland U.S. are saying, hey, our island is in trouble. We're seeing a huge, massive wave of our family and our friends coming from the island to only find out that this isn't the promised land that they have been indoctrinated to believe. Mm -hmm. So now we have to both fight for our conditions and our rights here Mm -hmm. as well as on the island. I'm sorry, I know that was a lot, but that's just another. Show. <laughs> that was really, really helpful. Yeah. Um, and, and when you said that, you know, a lot of the debt is tied up into retirements and pension, it just reminds me of sort of the de-wealthing, I guess, um, in, um, in the Foraker Act when they forced the dollar on the island and, and the Puerto Ricans lost their wealth. It just kind of reminds me of that. 
that yeah, no, exactly. And, and to me, and that's the, the institutional right, oppression of the colonized. And again, we see that, you know, I just wrote an article recently this week, that the American Somas and Guam and all these other colonies yeah. are heading down these same territorial paths. Mm-hmm. A lot of the times, because of these congressional mandates, like the Merchant Marine Act stifles and murders Puerto Rico uh, in the fact that it can't receive goods directly onto the island. It's a port nation, basically. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it has to be unloaded in bit? Jackson Florida onto U.S. merchant marine ships, then go to Puerto Rico, that can help Puerto Rico with $500,000 plus a year. That'll help plug a a hole. And then including Strom Thurmond, who was the then senator at the time, who plugged into an omnibus spending bill the fact that Puerto Rico cannot claim full bankruptcy. And no one can figure out why he did that. It goes back to the inherent, you know, colonial mindset of America that's truly that we own these islands. And Mm -hmm. that's those are the, the setbacks, but things that now our diaspora is learning about that now we can call out and try to advocate. And I'm very proud of Senator Sanders from Vermont mm-hmm. and the two senators from Massachusetts, both Markey and Co- and um, sorry, uh, having a brain fart today, okay. uh, Markey and Elizabeth Warren, who both voted against PROMESA, uh-huh. and in large part it was because of our diaspora here in Massachusetts, both from East Coast to West Coast, saying, you better vote no, one, and two, we stand with you as mm-hmm. you continue to fight for Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder if you could tell a little bit about, um, I, in my class, I, I mentioned to my students about... Um, Pedro Albizu Campos or, or Oscar Lopez Rivera. And um, there's a lot of, they didn't know about either of those. And I wondered if you could talk a little bit about this education to go back and talk about where the debt comes from and what um, these freedom fighters were fighting for and about. And so is, talk a little bit about that in terms of the work you're doing. Yeah, perfect. Exactly. Thank you. So Pedro Albizu Campos, of course, is, you know, one of the visionaries and, and, and the originators of showing um, exactly the need for why Puerto Rico, and I happen to be one of those individuals who shared that mindset, that Puerto Rico needs to be an independent nation with mm-hmm. strong associations to the U.S. So I just want to clarify that point before I continue for your mm-hmm. listeners, because yeah. clearly the history that I'm going to, you know, again, through my research, through my studies, is from that contextual lens that I agree with what they're saying. So uh, Pedro Albizu Campos, again, from Lares, at Grito de Lares, um, really it all happened exactly around that Spanish-American War. America gives, uh, actually Spain and Puerto Rico, uh, Puerto Rico was liberated for one day. It was free for one day. And then the very next day, America started raising flags and continued to take over. Pedro Albizu Campos was one of those individuals that said, hey, similar, and again, Harvard-educated, U.S. man, came to the U.S., studied here, intelligent individual, then goes back to Puerto Rico and says, again, like many of us in the diaspora, hey, something's wrong with this makeup, with this structure. Um, This commonwealth status doesn't really make sense for our island. We need self-determination. And whereas Cuba at the same time was then experiencing independence and granted, still with its flaws, Pedro Albizu Campos um, was there and was a leading forefront. And one of the most interesting things about the connectivity between Pedro Albizu Campos and Oscar Lopez Rivera, who is more of a modern-day freedom fighter, yes, associated with FALN, um, and is the seditious conspiracy charge that the U.S. levied. Mm -hmm. Um, Seditious conspiracy 
uh, was levied against both gentlemen and is the leading charge against mostly a lot of the times Puerto Rico nationalists and independents and independentists. And, and where does this come from, right? Everyone's like, well, where does this come from, Nelson? A few things we know from Pedro Abiso Campos. One is he was being tortured yeah. and radiated from the U.S. While he was in incarceration, he kept saying that they were electrocuting him. And at that time, many of the newspapers discredited him. We know that to be true. Um, Oscar Lopez Rivera was 12 years in solitary confinement. He is the longest held political prisoner uh, in the U.S. for 35 years, a Puerto Rican political prisoner. Um, and very similar to Nelson Mandela, these both men just believed that they, they would do whatever means necessary to free Puerto Rico, similar to the Young Lords or the Black Panthers. Mm-hmm. But seditious conspiracy was the main charge levied against both. That charge was first created during the American Civil War mm-hmm. that was created against Southerners who, again, were seceding against the North or were spies. You would be charged with seditious conspiracy if you were planning to do anything against the United States. Mm-hmm. During, of course, reconciliation, those charges were then dropped to heal the wounds of this nation. They mm-hmm. weren't brought up again until Pedro Albizu Campos and his charges against the U.S., and that is the next time you see seditious conspiracy being brought up. Um, following that throughout history, a lot of U.S. political prisoners against Puerto Rico, including Oscar Lopez Rivera, yes, he was charged with intent to, you know, cross ammunition and all this other stuff, intent to escape after 12 years of being locked up in there, but his main levy in charge with all of his co-defendants was seditious conspiracy. Um, and Oscar, similar to Pedro Albizu Campos, have just been fighting and saying, listen, the plight of our people has to be independence, because unless we're able to self-determine, um, and including with this Jones Act that just celebrated 100 years this year, we, even though we are U.S. citizens, we are almost seen as less than or second-class citizens um, because of that, that whole Commonwealth status. So Oscar Lopez Rivera, decorated uh, Vietnam, bronze medal winner, amazing man, born in, you know, born in Puerto Rico, raised in Chicago, became a community organizer and activist, and similar to my lifestyle in him, he realized in Chicago, same thing, that the Puerto Rican community was not facing the same levels and standards that they should be. So, again, similarly, he connected that the Puerto Rican status, political status, would be a direct reflection on the treatment of Puerto Ricans on the mainland. So he was young, he was very active. Um, he maintains that he at no point killed or planned any killings or participated in any killings in anyone. Um, but both gentlemen did suffer greatly. Um, they are heroes to some, to others they are not. It is all, it is all in that context of where you believe the island should be, but I know for Oscar, and now even Pedro, looking back, right, because history has this amazing way of reigniting people's views. One of my favorite quotes from Pedro Arbizu Campos um, that I still live for to this day is that the youth have the duty to defend the homeland with the weapons of knowledge. Uh, And I'll just say that again. The youth have the duty to defend the homeland with the weapons of knowledge. And so for me, as a young diasporic a Puerto Rican man who was born here, I'm trying to soak up mm-hmm. and learn as much as I can about the island, its history. Mm-hmm. I was just there, like I said, last month, and I went to the gravesite. I've never been to El Morro. Every time you go, you mm-hmm. just get sucked into family. Mm-hmm. And I went to the gravesite, and I saw Lolita Lebron's grave. I got to stand in front of Pedro Abisu Campos' grave mm-hmm. um, and see the flags of Lares, like he is a decorated general in front of his tomb. Mm-hmm. And those moments are what, like, awe me in the sense of our diaspora really needing and it's sad because all of these spaces are getting bought up and being commercialized and so that not to mention the intellectual assimilation that you talked about earlier too the forces of of being of of forgetting all of that history Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. exactly 
So we're going to continue the conversation after a short song break, and we're going to talk a little bit more about resistance and, and Holyoke. Um, so we're going to take a break and listen to a song called Querido FBI by Calle 13. Yes, I um, love it. It's in response, it's a song in response to a 2005 FBI assassination of Filiberto Ojeda Rios, mm-hmm. who was a 72-year-old former leader of the Puerto Rican revolutionary group called Los Macheteros. Um, Filiberto Ojeda Rios was the father of the clandestine armed movement in Puerto Rico. He founded the Ejercito Popular Boricua, the EPB, and um, he was known as Los Macheteros and labeled a terrorist group by U.S. law enforcement. And he had been a fugitive and one of the most wanted men by the FBI for 15 years. And when the FBI assassinated him, um, they shot and wounded him, but purposefully decided to deny him medical attention as he bled to death for 24 hours. Um, as we've seen in the news and other places as yes, well. Yes, indeed. Here, so, so uh, short song break, and here's Querido FBI. So welcome back. You're listening to Indigo Radio on 107.7 FM, Brattleboro Community Radio Station. Um, this is Indigo Radio. We're on every Sunday from 12 to 1, trying to make connections and deepen our understanding. Um, we've been talking about Puerto Rico, and there's so much to talk about, and we have a wonderful guest. Um, yes, so uh, Nelson, uh, Mr. Nelson Roman, um, who is a city council mem- member in Ward 2 in, um, in Holyoke. And um, so we've been speaking about Puerto Rico. He's enlightened us about what's going on on the ground in Puerto Rico and the resistance against colonialism and, and the experiences of Puerto Ricans here and in Puerto Rico. And Mr. Roman, we wanted to, um, I'm going to give you three questions and maybe you can work with them however you'd like, but could you tell us a little bit about your work in decolonizing efforts here and what have been some of the tactics and methods used since colonial times and and now in terms of um, assimilation and and control? And and the last um, one of those is, what are the issues that you and others are organizing around in Holyoke today? Yes, perfect. Thank you again so much. I look forward to many more of these discussions. I know we're not going to get to anything today in one shooting, and I can't wait to go up there. I'm always in Brattleboro, by the way, down at the Latches Theater. Um, That's my escape for me and my partner. So you have a deep polio connection, so next time I'll drive up and meet you there. (laughs) We were hoping if we could arrange to have um, Mr. Lopez... um, And you. And you come and um, have a little talk at at the Latches Latches, in one of their... We would love that. I I will work that out. Oscar's a good friend of mine now. We talk almost weekly on the phone. Uh, I consider him a mentor and a friend. So I will, we will make that happen in the near future. I promise you guys that. Um, So yes, thank you for all three of those questions. So the first, um, the first part is definitely the first two sections kind of almost intertwine, right? So what, um, the work I'm currently doing here, I'm the interim executive director of an organization called Nueva Esperanza Incorporated, which means a new hope. Um, and this came out of the 60s and 70s ways of Puerto Rican migrants who came to Holyoke. And back then, there was no regulations around landlords collecting insurance money when their buildings would go on fire. So similar to Brooklyn and throughout the country, these landlords in South Holyoke, in Holyoke, Mass., would burn the buildings, get their supers, have kids play with matches. So this agency was formed out of that. And its initial goals were leadership development, homeownership, and entrepreneurship. Fast forward 35 years later, um, after, of course, like many nonprofits, going through that nonprofit industrialization complex, yeah. trying to survive or navigate
based purely on government grants and money, um, we now, our mission statement is to create a vibrant and sustainable Puerto Rican Afro-Caribbean community of Holyoke. And we put that directly in our mission statement because our organization believes exactly that. If we're not directly calling out who our individuals are that are the most in need, uh, which is our diaspora currently, then we're never going to be able to decolonize or really break that cycle. Um, Secondly, the masters, one of the other, my other favorite quotes, and I have a lot of females that I consider my mentors, um, my favorite mentor out here is Maria Salgado Cartagena, and she is always quoting Audrey Lorde, Lorde, and her, one of her quotes is, you cannot undo the master's um, systems with the master's tools. So Mm -hmm. around that decolonized work, right, for years in our government, uh, we have had a government who has, right, even though they've done great with, like, funding service organizations, those organizations are meant to keep people in poverty. They're not teaching them self-sustaining or self-governing principles to allow us um, to take care of ourselves um, or break that cycle of poverty. Um, So if... um Sorry about that. Um, if we can, at Nueva Esperanza, focus on three things, creation, community, and culture. Creation in that we are, for example, I just launched in the last day, I've only been here a month, we are creating a Cuyo, a restorative justice, social justice camp that is going to work on issues of homophobia, racism, sexism, mm-hmm. um, misogyny, and really work with youth ages 19 through 17 to start unpacking that at a young age, right? In really building social in justice. The community? Pardon? In the community, in the community. Um, but I can tell you the whole community is supporting it. The school system, I put on Facebook yesterday that I needed, like, supplies donated. The school system opened up their supply central office for us because 90% of the school systems is Puerto Rican Latino. Yeah. We organized, like I said, in Holyoke, the first Puerto Rican New England diaspora conference that was attended with by over 300 individuals um, from all over New England. And this summer, um, just a couple of days ago, I had the gay Puerto Rican flag that was stolen from the front of our building. So we are going to be having in August, late August, the Western Mass, Western Mass in New England LGBT Puerto Rican Summit, a conversation around how even within our diaspora, we have to unpack homophobia and misogyny within our own culture. So we are doing decolonizing work through both education and outreach and community, um, and, and that's a great way for allies, and you're talking about how do we build a movement. We in Holyoke specifically have created neighborhood associations where there's the largest pockets of Latinos. And we're going door by door, neighbor by neighbor. Mm -hmm. It has to go back to that grassroots level organizing where we're in the doors, we're connecting. And I, as a city councilor, only make $10,000 a year as a stipend. And I can tell you I spend way more on that, um, on organizing in the community or buying food for the neighborhood meetings or just the kids or if there's a funeral or whatever the case may be. We need to elect more individuals on a local level uh, that truly are responsible to the people. And when I say that is on a local level, for example, here in Holyoke, we, I'm one of 15 city councilors at a city that I told you is 50% Latino. There are only three of us who were elected who are Puerto Rican Latino out of 15. Our president of our city council is a Donald Trump delegate, and the amazing, badass Latina woman who sits to my left is a lesbian, and she was a Bernie Sanders delegate. But I can tell you the majority of the council is conservative. So things like having a human rights commission here in Holyoke, they don't exist here. There's no human rights commission with teeth. Um, Having a police commission, those little things that truly impact the day-to-day work of our our community. Or as a formerly homeless person, I had a city council colleague recently that just said, we need to tell 
tell the community do not feed the animals in response to individuals in need or who are panhandling or asking wow. for money. Wow. So those are the local things that we are working around towards decolonizing, mm-hmm. and I'm the first one to stick my neck out. And you have to make a conscious decision in this work, and I'm sure a lot of your viewers or people who are out there organizing know, are you willing to die for your cause? So mm-hmm. I know every day I'm out there today, for example, in between, I have an hour break. Today's mm-hmm. our neighborhood cleanup day mm-hmm. that we've organized as a community with the neighborhood associations. It's all people run. We had church folks, LGBT folks, and it's all people from the neighborhood. It's not agency run. It's people with their own rakes, their brooms, their shovels. We found three bags of heroin today in the streets that mm-hmm. we called the police department. They picked up. But really, truly just trying to connect the village again because that's the master's tools. Mm-hmm. They continue to say, well, look, this pocket of neighborhood is terrible. There's crime. Let's, you know, knock it down and build anew. No, the, the vibrancy and the resiliency that exists in Holyoke, it's already there. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are the works and the ideas that we're working on. For me, it was things like cleaner parks, mm-hmm. renovating sidewalks and streets, the basic quality of life things. I'm just reminded of the young lords and they're yeah. um, sweeping the streets is the first thing that the community wanted them to do. Exactly, and that's yeah. why for me, history has a funny way of repeating itself. So I have, through my own decolonizing work, right, and even my machismo work, in my AD role, I have purposely hired and brought on all women of color mm-hmm. to work with me because I have to also ensure that as a male, I have the females not only with me but leading the charge with the community organizing. And so we call ourselves a cacique, which is the Taino word for like an Indian chief. Mm-hmm. So I consider myself one of the chiefs, a cacique chief, but then I have all women chiefs around me, mm-hmm. and we're out there every day And exactly that. This summer program, it's 100% self-sustained, no government funding, no nothing, but we got 10 computers donated this week for it so that students can practice math. I got four. We have no air conditionings in our building. I've gotten four donated just from putting it out on Facebook. So this community is coming alive and together, and we're thinking of forming a gentrification task force because even in Holyoke, it is prime for, mm-hmm. you know, all this prime real estate uh, that is underdeveloped, we have a whole street right behind Main Street that's fully gentrified. It's this beauty, it's gorgeous, and I'm not knocking that, but none of our community lives there or can afford to live there. So we as a community are trying to, and that's what Nueva does, is empower more home ownership models, more co-op models, so people can truly own homes and then be invested and not have to, and exactly what you guys were talking about with the island of Puerto Rico, we have to build wealth management and ownership, like we have to build those within our diaspora here because once I'm sustained and I have wealth and money, then I can send money back to the homeland, to the mainland, to buy property, to buy land, to ensure that it stays in Puerto Rico's hands. Mm -hmm. And I wonder, we've just got a few minutes left, Mm -hmm. and I'm just again, this is just the beginning conversation and many, I hope, um, here and um, on the streets, and I wondered if you could um, talk a little bit about um, some of the lessons that for Americans on the mainland who are not Puerto Rican. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think two, like, two things that immediately jump out at me is no movement or front is insular or alone. So even the Young Lords or the Black Panther movement or the LGBT movement, mm-hmm. it is a beautiful rainbow coalition. Mm-hmm. So exactly with the plight of what's going on in Puerto Rico, for those on the mainland who aren't familiar or even within the diaspora, like I was, who are not familiar, please come to a workshop or training. Or like I said, maybe our program, Nueva and your program, can host some 
workshops in Brattleboro to teach about exactly what Puerto Rican culture is, what the history of Puerto Rico is. Hey, it's so enriching. And if you think about it as a people, and Oscar Lopez said this best, he in Puerto Rico has this art installation that the mayor of San Juan put up. And it is a black panel, an orange panel, a red panel, and a white panel. And they represent to him the fact that there is no black man, there is no yellow man, there is no white man, there is no orange man, there is only man. We are all one human race. And if we start to break that down and understand who we are, including right our histories and our struggles, then you are able then to stand with us when we're marching or protesting or you know truly standing up against oppression and say, I understand their plight and I'm here to support them. They're leading the charge, but we're here with them because we understand all that this system of oppression has put them through. So I would recommend definitely reading up. Um, some of my favorite ways to learn is through satire. Mm-hmm. So I think even this crisis, John Oliver and his late night show had this beautiful and this wonderful YouTube video. I actually use it as a teaching tool mm-hmm. to just discuss the fact that Promesa isn't the sole thing that's killing Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. And there's so many different facets or these programs or starting a book club or mm-hmm. inviting up Puerto Rican speakers here in Holyoke. Yeah. We have the Puerto Rican Cultural Project that brings Nelson Dennis, who wrote an amazing book called War Against yeah. All Puerto Ricans. Yep, he's, he's, uh, we have all of these amazing lecture series, and we're only, like I said, the way I drive, it's only an hour away from Brattleboro. Yeah. But we can work in collaboration to bring those up to you all, and maybe we can co-sponsor those. But I would say education's number one. Mm-hmm. And then number two is exactly what I said. I'll quote Pedro Bisu Campos one more time mm-hmm. and just make it general to everyone. The duty of everyone to defend the homeland of Puerto Rico is with the weapons of knowledge. Mm-hmm. If you truly know what's going on in Puerto Rico, or exactly what you said, there are 14 uh, Democratic senators and 18 Republican senators who voted against PROMESA, but if everyone was to get out there and understand how this is crippling them and how Puerto Rico is going to be if it was to ever join the union and that 23% plebiscite it was more of a protest vote. But even if everyone in Puerto Rico voted for statehood and it joined the union, it would be a poorer state than Mississippi. And so we still have work to do here on the mainland. So I would encourage everyone to study Mm -hmm. and go and defend the homeland of Puerto Rico with knowledge. Mm -hmm. I would love to come up and offer a workshop. I will try to bring Oscar. I will try to work with you. And we are opening here in Holyoke an Afro-Caribbean Puerto Rican cultural center. Mm -hmm. And so I don't mind partnering and bringing up workshop series up there, whether it's the Latches, your library, you have that beautiful town market downtown. I yep. love that place. Oh my God, <laughs> yep. that is everything. Um, <laughs> anything that we can do to help offer that education yeah. because we do need, and this is what I tell my friends, I don't need you to be an ally. I need accomplices. Mm-hmm. I need you to use your privilege to help me dismantle this system of mm-hmm. oppression because if you get arrested uh, for protesting versus when I get arrested right. for protesting, yeah. I will get asked to step down off my seat for city council. I will be called a thug and a criminal. Right. You will be called a badass radical. And mm-hmm. so we can work together. Mm-hmm. I will go bail you out, but we can still be locked at the arms. So I think those are all great tools hopefully that your listeners will get out of that absolutely mr roman we we just couldn't thank you enough and we look forward to many other conversations and workshops up here i would Um, love to be back with you guys anytime thank you guys so much for doing this this means the world to me thank you thank you so much mr nelson roman he's um ward two city councilor in holyoke uh executive director of nueva esperanza and uh, we've been talking just touching the surface of some of the issues in puerto rico and their connections to uh long history here so Again, Mr. Roman, thank you so much, and we look forward to talking with you more. Yes, thank you. Thank you so much, guys. Have a great day. You, you too. too. Thank you. And we're going to leave with a song called 
uh, by Ray Barreto called uh, Reconstruction, and it talks about the Hibaro and or people from the interior of the island and how they've been the backbone of the society and how transnationals have destroyed the island's agriculture. So, again, this is Indigo Radio. We're here every Sunday from 12 to 1, Brattleboro Community Radio, 107.7 uh, FM. So, yeah. And uh, if next week, uh, if you tune in next week, uh, the subject next week will be about um, the Community College of Vermont and adjuncts in higher education. So join us next week. And again, thank you to Mr. Roman, and uh, thank you all of us, all of our listeners. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye.